we are trying to make the factory greener. We don't just generate the green products, but also we use the green energy to produce the green product and to make sure that we don't emit while we're shipping the green stuff. We're going to do our best part to make sure those things will be plugged in and we are doing a good business for the environment, for the U.S., but not only the manufacturing capacities. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. If you've been following the U.S. solar industry at all for the last several months to year, no doubt you're aware of the evolution of the industry, something that when I started back in 2006, I've seen waves of uh, reshoring or domestic manufacturing as a conversation. Uh, we've seen a decade now of trade policy centered around both protecting and bringing back manufacturing to the U.S., shores. And so in the news, it seems every week, month, there are more announcements. Yet many of you ask the same questions I do. Where are all of these modules that are going to be manufactured? When will I get my hands on them? All too often, we hear in the project industry, power points, not power plants. We hear about factories that uh, take many, many months to years to materialize from the time that they're announced. However, one such Announcement was recently made that appears to sort of buck that trend. Trina Solar announced that they're going to be manufacturing in Wilmer, Texas. And the plant is, in fact, well underway and the modules will be rolling off the lines very soon. And that they already have orders. Something that we've come to expect from a company like Trina, one of the global leaders and, in fact, the largest provider of panels to the U.S. in the current year, 2023. So... I thought it would be interesting to have Stephen Sue, the president of Trina US, on the show to talk a bit about the complexities of reshoring, bringing a massive manufacturing facility from one of the largest manufacturers in the world over to the United States. I hope that this is interesting for you. It certainly was for me, having worked at a manufacturing company prior. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, I've worked at Trina and Trina has been a supporter of Suncast over the last year. Nevertheless, as the leader in the market, it makes a lot of sense for us to talk to someone who very squarely understands what's at stake and can talk about how this all came together. Today, we're going to talk with Stephen and get into the folds, really understand the complex situation that is domestic manufacturing for the U.S. solar industry. If you like this kind of conversation, you are in the right place because each and every week, twice a week, we have Tactical Tuesdays like this one and long executive profiles on Thursdays where we line up those who are lining up the clean energy sector here in the United States so that we can peel back the layers, pull back the veil and share with you their insights on how the energy transition is really happening. You should subscribe to the show if this is the kind of stuff that you really dig. That way you won't miss out on it. You can also check out more than 650 episodes just like this in the back catalog at MySuncast. 
Tech.com. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we dig into another tactical, practical episode here on Suncast. Stephen, I said in the outset that Trina is the largest manufacturer in the U.S. That might come as a surprise to some because these these data are not always um, easily attained. Can you give us a sense of scale for Trina right now in the global market and sort of put the U.S. Uh, portfolio in context? Sure. Uh, globally, you know, we do have roughly about, you know, 50 gigawatt already running in China, um, which support uh, the regions like Europe, uh, Latin American, Japan, most of the Asian countries. Uh, U.S., on the other hand, is a very special region um, due to all kind of regulations and requirements, ABCVD, that happened in the last five or even eight years. We put up our uh, manufacture uh, capacity in Southeast Asia, in both Vietnam and Thailand. In currently in Vietnam, we do have 4.5 gigawatt of the capacity, uh, per technology, P type and, uh, 210, uh, most advanced, uh, you know, wafer size and the uh, cell size. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have another 2.5 gigawatt of the capacity in Thailand, uh, which is top, top cone te- technology, uh, N type, uh, and uh, also use the 210 wafers. And uh, this new manufacturer we put in US in, uh, Wilmer, Texas, it's a five gigawatt of the, you know, the, uh, the module facility. And, uh, it, it probably will be half, half, you know, half of the P type, half of the N type. Um, the reason is, you know, uh, our 210 technology on the P type, it's already the most advanced ones on the P type, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the power density, in terms of the LCOE. And then next generation of the, you know, Topcom is coming, rolling also, and Trina is actually honored to be the first one to introduce, the, you know, Topcom. We're already shipping, you know, N-Type to the U.S. market yeah. uh, from Southeast Asia capacity. So it is a nature for us to also, you know, to compensate the demand from, you know, different customers with different, you know, uh, products. If you're at liberty to share, or at least a range, what's the scale of shipment into the U.S. by Trina in 2023? 2023, we actually did very good. Uh, you know, we, you know, based on the importation data, we're actually number one in terms of the volume shipping to the U.S. And we totally shipped about uh, 4.5 gigawatt. Um, as a matter of fact, it's a little bit more than that, you know, because some of the inventory that actually was allocated, you know, to a European customer, uh, a big one, uh, which also doing the project in the U.S. You know, so... So I would say, you know, um, the total volume this year probably going to be close to five gigawatts. Five gigawatts is phenomenal. There wasn't uh, five gigawatts of Trina production in the world when I was working at Trina back in 2013. I remember we were, uh, I think we were celebrating something like two or three gigawatts I know. In, in scale, right? So what a, um, what a tremendous growth curve just in the, you know, I've been out of Trina now for about a decade, uh, which is Kind of hard to believe John Della Piazza, who runs Trina North America, started the day before me and now runs uh, Trina sales in, in North America. Of course, the reason that we're here today is to talk specifically about that Wilmer facility. And I have some questions for those who just maybe are really trying to wrap their head around how quickly this manufacturing uh, reshoring may or may not happen. 
um, and what all goes into it. How complex or involved is it? So I'll start with simply site selection. There's so much at stake to determine where a facility goes. Can you break down for us what goes into the process of site selection? What happens behind the scenes there? A matter of fact, this is not the first time we investigate into the U.S. Um, by 2014 or 2013, when the AVCVD just came out, and uh, we start to investigate. And U.S. is a natural place because, you know, the manufacturer has to be close to the market, as we said, in order to, you know, lower the logistic cost and uh, mitigate the risk for the future regulation changes. You know, but back to that time, without the RA incentives, the U.S., you know, uh, you know cost is still very high. And the majority into two categories. One is the K-Packs. And here, uh, because the material, because the labor, the K-Packs for the factory normally are three or even four times than what happened in China. Yeah, partially because of the, you know, material cost, partially because, you know, uh, People over there working more in density and there is more labor that can contribute to the project. Therefore, the project can finish in three to four months or, you know, maximum six months. But in here, in order to build a factory, uh, most of the projects, if that's a greenfield uh, starting from fresh ground, uh, it probably will take at least a year. And also uh, um, the OPEX, you know, um, regarding the final product, the cost. Can that be competitive in in the market? Because you know, by the end of the day, customer buying all the modules, they don't care whether that's came from you know imported module uh, or that came from the local market. Yeah. And in order for their project to be you know financial rigid and uh, you know investment uh, interested, and uh, they have to be the certain cost has to be reasonable, and uh, the quality. Uh, it's also very important. Um, I actually heard, you know, uh, there's some of the manufacturers, uh, they were in U.S. and they, they move over to Southeast Asia and now they are coming back. And somehow, you know, due to the yield of the, you know, uh, manufacturing or the productivity of the manufacturing or due to the management uh, of the manufacturing, uh, their efficiency are always like 1%, 2% lower than they're expected. And uh, that's called actually, you know, those kind of efficiency, you know, uh, discount causing their cost is also going higher. It's by nature that if, you know, within the certain factory, if you be able to produce, for example, six gigawatt, you know, and uh, compare with a lower technology that you can only produce four gigawatt. And six gigawatts cost, obviously, you know, will be much lower than the four gigawatt output because you still share almost the same electricity consumption. You share the same depreciation yeah. of the K-Pax. So more productive, the factory can be lower the cost. When you refer to efficiency, you're referring to the efficiency of the factory itself, not the module coming off the line. Both, actually, you know, the productivity and the efficiency. If you run through the line and you be able to produce, let's say, you know, uh, two gigawatt instead of 1.8 gigawatt, obviously your output is bigger. And if your efficiency is just a teeny, tiny higher than your competitors, then you 
obviously it's almost the same cost to produce the higher efficiency. So higher the efficiency, yeah. lower the cost. Right, and the higher the efficiency, the more effective gigawatts you're able to deploy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you were referring to the module efficiency. I mean, I just wanna make sure I'm understanding that some of your, some peers have had an actual module efficiency reduction when they begin manufacturing in new locations. Is that what you're saying? Um, always during the ramping yep. up stage. Um, okay. You know, you have to testing everything. You have to tune the machines. Um, sure. You know, faster you can ramping up to the full productivities and, uh, you know, um, lower cost you can you can have. And also that demonstrate how well you can train your worker uh, to make sure they become a skilled, you know, experienced, you know, uh, a producer instead of just, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of little things like that's what I, you know, um, yeah. what I said that uh, sometimes the technology are exactly same, but the know-hows, the management, mm. the productivity, all these little things will eventually be the key factors for a manufacturer to be successful or not. Let's talk about uh, successful or not manufacturing, because I would suppose that there are several key factors in the decision-making process. You have been with Trina practically from the inception, have been responsible in many ways for helping stand up manufacturing around the world for the organization and um, have deep insight into how and why not just uh, the scale of the plant, but the location of the plant are selected what made Wilmer in Texas specifically stand out as a community? And what were some of the key factors that were must-haves for Trina in selecting uh, both Wilmer and Texas? And I presume there are there are lots of factors from um, local incentives to workforce, but I want you to just kind of unpack some of those for us. No, trust me, there are more than a handful of the factors that will impact the decision-making regarding mm -hmm. the sites. But, you know, majority... Uh, political environment is definitely one of the mm -hmm. important things. Uh, in U.S., there's a you know CFS, um, which is the regulation to manage the foreign investment. You know, um, you know if you have a joint venture or if you're trying to you know occupy a land or if you are you know is if your site is too close to a military base, then you know. Um, your, you know, uh, investment, uh, you, you need to be careful with those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, some other things like uh, the power, uh, you know, um, the water and sewage, those consumptions. And the land, of course, uh, you know, it's a big part of the key packs. And the labor sources, um, you know, um, that the factory, the five gigawatt, the factory probably need to use around like 1,500 people. I would say half of those need to be skilled workers and half of mm -hmm. those will be will callers. You know, both of them are super important to, you know, to the success of the, the factory. So, so, um, we pick up the place in Texas because all those factors are considered. Um, Texas has enough land. It's a, you know, big enough, you know, state that have a lot of options that give the choices uh, to select from. And also, you know, Dallas area had, you know, especially the major metropolitan areas. Um, first, they are, you know, uh, less military uh, related, you know, uh, military places are in the rural areas, you know, but close to the metropolitan area. Our lawyers, our, you know, 
and law firms, um, you know, did a throughout, you know, screening process in order to make sure that there's no current, you know, uh, issues and there's no future risks either, you know, and also, uh, transportation wise, you know, Texas is very close for the final product is very close to the market, right? California, Texas, most of the southern states are the major market for solar. And therefore, yeah. you know, uh, your final product can roll out the production line and directly go to the market within a hundred miles or, you know, 500 miles. And uh, that's the best saving for the customer. It's best saving for us also. And the uh, same thing, you know, about the raw materials, you know, a lot of the raw material current supply chains are still rely on the importation. So, you know, the Wilmer side is right in between I-35 and I-45. And it's only about two hours drive from, you know, Houston port, the major port on the southern, you know, so it's, it's very convenient to get the material in. And, uh, it's a major hub for the train station also, you know, which can be a backup, you know, for the, for the, for the truckings. Um, you know, it goes directly to the Long Beach port and all the way to the East coast also, you know, so, so, um, yeah, a lot of factors. We actually spent more than two years. Uh, we didn't start this search, um, you know, after RI, uh, came out. We actually, you know, way before that, you know, if you remember the last three years, there's been a lot of hiccups in, in terms of the, you know, the international shipping, in terms of the regulation changes, tariff risks, um, the tariff was, uh, you know, uh, raised up for the 201 and then press president exempted and later mm -hmm. it came back and then exempt again for the beneficial, you know, so there are a couple of runs. Um, one of the major things that we do think at least the U.S. manufacturer can mitigate a lot of uncertainties along the supply chain, along the, you know, material side to make sure both the customer and the manufacturer can predict what could happen, you know, um, mm -hmm. instead of, you know, when you try to shipping something and later, you know, the regulation is going to change, you have to pay a much higher price or, you know, uh, you have to switch or adjust your supply chain accordingly in order to make sure the importation are smoothly, which are all part of the game. But that's why I say, we are the veteran in the, in the industry. We're probably the longest survivor of this industry and in the U.S. market. So we've been experienced all of this, you know, ABCBD, UFLPA, mm -hmm. WRO, you know, uh, anti-circumventing. So we understand, you know, the regulations are subject to change. What we do can do from our side is to, you know, keep on evolving our supply chain, keep on, you know, reducing the possibilities, you know, uh, for those uncertainties and uh, diversify our capacities. So we still have the Southeast Asia capacity and also the U.S. capacity. Uh, you know, don't forget that they still need the wafer supplies. They still need the polysilicon supplies um, coming to the factory in order to produce the module in here. So, so um, yeah, we are, you know, uh, we're going to keep on, you know, uh, deploying our capacities. Um, and, uh, uh, make sure, you know, if anything happened, you know, uh, we do have a solution for that. I think it's interesting. A number of, uh, folks have chosen strategic 
ports, like very specifically Jacksonville, Jinko, uh, Seg recently in Houston. Um, there, it seems like proximity to a major port is a big um, plus. So Houston seems like a logical choice. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow, this is a suburb of Dallas. You addressed it, I think, in the uh, in the brief touch point on transportation. But where you're located in Dallas specifically is at the middle of not only the I-45 and 35, but also 20, which runs east-west. It's it's a lot more uh, sort of centrally located from a transportation hub perspective. It sounds like it's closer to rail as well. And if I hear you correctly, you, the suggestion is that Dallas is going to actually be a more efficient transportation hub than one of the other alternative ports. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it's right in the central, it's uh, very close to the southern states and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, railway, you know, airlines, you know, uh, road transportation, all are very convenient. I won't say it's a perfect place, but, uh, you know, so far, based on our scorecard, Dallas is very yeah. high up there. Well, as you said, it took two years to not only uh, find, but then start to really build out the both the thesis and the plant itself. How, at, at the present time, the time of recording, it's nearing the end of 2023, how close to completion is the factory? The completion of the factory, the building uh, will be finished this month, uh, almost this month, and uh, you know everything will be ready for the equipment to be moved in Q1. And uh, wow. the first product should roll out by the middle of next year. You mentioned water availability. It's something that I also wanted to follow up on because at the moment, the plant, four and a half gigawatts, is dedicated to, as you said, half P, half N type production of modules. But there's a whole, the whole upstream uh, component that is, that is involved in creating the cells that go into the modules. Where will Trina be sourcing the raw materials for this facility in the near term? And then how might that evolve? Yeah, in the last three years, Trina is probably one of the pioneers that actually start to add adjusting our supply chain because of the regulations, right? UFLPA that uh, requires the traceability of the, mm -hmm. all the raw materials all the way down to the mine, silicon mine, and also, you know, anti-circumvention that's, uh, you know, uh, requires us to have the wafer outside China in order to avoid ABCPD. And uh, there could be, you know, um, so... By taking all those into consideration, um, the real deployment of the supply chain or adaptation of the supply chain, you know, happened three years ago. Um, starting from 2021, mm -hmm. we start to using 100% of the non-Chinese poly to supply U.S., although it's tougher, you know, to negotiate with, uh, you know, um, some of the uh, overseas polysilicon makers because their volume are kind of limited. And their expansion takes much longer time. They demand multiple year contracts. But we think it's, you know, if you want to do the business sustainably, uh, if you want to yeah. do the business 10 years uh, or even longer, you don't care, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, how long the contract you have to lock in upper streams, right? You know, for some smaller players, it might not be the ideal solution for them because, you know, uh, maybe... They just came when the market is hot, and uh, so when the market is gone, they don't they don't have to you know worry too much about that. Um, but you know, for us, 
we are dedicated to supply US. We have to arrange those supply chains ahead of the time and make sure in long run, the supply chain is stable and secure. Same thing as yeah. the wafer. You know, we put a five gigawatt of the wafer in uh, Vietnam already, and we are adding another five gigawatt, you know, uh, into the into the pool. Um, so altogether, we will have you know, 10 gigawatt of the wafer supplies that can be available for the U.S. in the next 10 years or even forever. Yeah. Which is very critical, um, you know, uh, for compared with some of the companies. You know, I, I heard recently there's another, you know, a, a Chinese manufacturer. They they are starting a wafer factory um, in, in Thailand. Um, but their original technology was the casting, was the multi-crystalline, and they are switching over to the monocrystalline. But Trina has always been, you know, um, we've been diversified. You know, we had our mm-hmm. crystalline before, we have our wafer before, and now it's just a, you know, reopening of those lines. So uh, it would be much easier for us to, you know, bring everything up to date. Sure. And, and all of those are key factors of the supply chains. Um, you don't expect to build those things within one day or even one year. You have to have a throughout plans, long-term plans, you know, getting things piece by piece and then keep on optimizing them. Um, you know, so that's why, you know, we told our suppliers also the same story that uh, you don't expect us only to sign one contract and then it's going to last forever, right? You know, we're going to keep on signing with you every year, um, you know, through Trina's history, through Solar's history. That's exactly what we did. And the same thing as the downstream players, um, you know, when asking them to fully committed to the whole factory, right? You know, we give them some flexibilities. We give them some choices. And we actually suggest them to start with low and gradually moving up also, you know. Um, All of those, what I consider are making the plan more feasible, more less problematic, you know, when the things keep on moving, right? You know, in this industry, we have to learn how to manage things dynamically. He cannot use a certain rule that apply for everything forever. You know, you have to keep a close eye on the situation and you have to be really keen regarding the changes. You have to react on the changes. You have to prepare for the future changes also. You know, like I always tell my team that uh, it doesn't matter who's guessing is right. It's a matter of when the things happen, what is our action plan? What is our contagious plan? One of the things that Trina has consistently done you said the um the longest survivor and um i've heard in private that um your goal is to be the the last survivor uh, as the industry as the industry grows trina's goal from the beginning is to prevail not only uh as a, as a world-class provider but to build as though you need to endure long periods of uh, of hardship or, or drought so to speak it's that sort of resistance built in to the business. I presume therefore that a module manufacturing facility is not the, is not the um, sort of the last stop in the, in the chain of supply that you guys are organizing. Can you talk about the evolution? Obviously you've got almost 10 gigawatts of wafer availability in Thailand, but eventually, and obviously as well, those who've read the IRA know that you do get more sort of credit, so to speak, if you have 
more upchain or sort of upstream supply. Talk to the process apart from the module manufacturing that is required to expand beyond modules to wafers, uh, cells, uh, ingot. How how might that evolve, and how might that site selection, like you know Texas or other locations, potentially change if Trina decides to deploy more than just a module factory here? Well, first, um, to be the longest survivor is not anything that we specifically. It's not our goal, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. just the results. You know, the result came from the logic. The, the, the business common sense, you know, a mm. lot of people are too aggressive and they jump in and all in and bet on something and uh, to take the opportunity um, because the solar is so hot, right? You know, sometimes. And the Trina, on the other hand, we're dedicated to the industry. So we definitely go long-term. And so every decision we make, it has to make sense, you know, not only for one year, also for multiple years, sustainability and, uh, you know, stability, security are the key words that when we make our decisions. And, uh, you know, by business nature, you know, the factory alone, you can put a factory anywhere, right? You know, um, as long as, you know, um, especially the factory is on the downstream side, on the module side, it's not as hard or technology sensitive as cell or the wafer or even polysilicon, right? But, you know, when you think about the overall things, um, if you truly going to stay in the market in the long run, you have to bring the ecosystems. Um, you have to bring the bomb suppliers. You have to bring the service suppliers closer to your factory as much as possible. Therefore, it will lower the cost of the overall for everybody. You know, a lot of the money and costs are wasted during the transportation, during the certification, mm-hmm. during importing tariffs and whatever things, right? You know, so, so it, it definitely makes sense, you know, to build the ecosystem so that in the future, your final product is cost competitive and technology safe and has the potentials to go into the future. You know, um, same thing as the upper stream. You know, uh, for example, that module, the major raw material is a cell, you know. Um, so where your cell going to come from? And the currently U.S., for example, you know, besides the RA, they, you know, they're trying to put up the guidelines for the domestic contents to earn additional 10% of the ITC for the downstream investors. Um, in order to qualify that, and you have to do something extra, you know, uh, then just assembly the module here, you know. So, so we definitely are consider, uh, you know, uh, the sale also, and the uh, same thing as the you know UFLPA, right? You know that yeah. uh, if the UF UFLPA is kind of a requirement traceability to make sure the whole supply chain is ethical, and uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's you know uh, labor safe that you have to, you know, deploy those ones. That's why even the domestic contents doesn't require we still build up with the U.S. polymakers, you know, sign the contract with those ones. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, um, there's a lot of things embedded into the value chain, 
you know, like I said, sometimes yeah. saving the logistic cost is good. Sometimes, you know, uh, it's not very sensitive. For example, you know, the wafer, right? You know, the wafer, yeah. uh, can that be thousand miles away? It's possible because, you know, you ship the wafer in the pack and, uh, you know, it's much less lost or less logistic cost in between. Therefore, logistic cost is a, not a huge factors uh for the for the for the final product cost therefore yeah. it is possible to put the wafer a little bit you know apart from the module side or from the sales mm -hmm. side but on the other hand you know upper stream manufacturing you know productions uh, especially wafer and cell it does require more utility more electricities more you know uh water and uh, right on the other hand the permitting are tougher, you know, for the upper stream, for the pollution reasons, for the, you know, mm -hmm. uh, water treatment reasons. Therefore, you, you probably cannot put a cell very close to a metropolitan area uh, because the permit is just much harder to get and uh, uh, it takes much longer time. So you probably have to find some other places, which is more, you know, uh, you know, utility, you know, friendly, uh, cost, you know, competitive. You know, so, so all those factors will be taken into consideration. Um, same thing as the ecosystems, uh, you know. Yeah. That is definite the long-term players consideration for those opportunities. They don't care. They just come here, build a factory, you know, grab two years of incentive and then the market is gone and they are gone. You know, mm. we are not those players. You mentioned a couple of times. And so for those who are unfamiliar with the acronym, I'll, I'll unpack it. UL, UFLPA, which is Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Uh, it's in reference to forced labor practices that are both real and presumed in um, a rural area in China, a very large area in China, uh, where in fact forced labor has been proven. And so therefore traceability or the ability to know um, all the inputs and components um, has become uh, very important in the industry over the last two to three years as the U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, Agency put in an, uh, a restriction on UFLPA. I'll link to that for folks who are unfamiliar with it. Um, one of the things that uh, also is uh, you know, very complex, as you mentioned, that uh, we have to take into consideration is when you're building out the plant, yeah, you got to locate the facility, you got to find it in a, um, in a friendly uh, community and state that has policies that are attractive. You got to have a place that's got uh, enough electricity. Uh, it's got to be central to transportation. I think potentially the hardest nut to crack is the workforce. A facility this size is going to need a significant workforce. What What are the kinds of jobs available? How many will there be for this new plant in Wilmer? And uh, help us un understand a bit workforce development. Yeah, I mean, for five gigawatt of the manufacturer, it doesn't matter module or cell. Um, roughly, it needs about 12 to 1600, you know, that will create this many of the job opportunities. Um, you know, like I said, uh, a lot of them are, do need a skill, uh, you know, uh, technicians to run the factory instead of uh, just carry the stuff, right? Yeah. So we definitely need to be close to the labor, you know, sources in order to find enough options. On the other hand, the, you know, uh, we're going to dip deeper into the community to build the program together with the local schools, technician schools, in order to make sure our worker can be trained, our labor poor can be trained in order to adapt to the skills that's required. 
we are sending the key persons also over to our existing manufacturer in Southeast Asia uh, to be trained on the assembly line. We are also sending uh, the trainers over to here to teach the worker in here because, you know, those works need to have hands-on training. You cannot just read yeah. a menu and then operate the machine. Uh, you have to know how to, you know, make things better. You have to know how to troubleshooting. You have to make sure that uh, how to keep on optimizing. Um, so all those things are very critical. So, um, again, it takes time. Uh, you know, we understand that. We're well prepared for that. And uh, so that's why we have a whole team to build this. And Trina has some advantages because, you know, we do have our existing presenting in the U.S. already. All I remember I mentioned that we do have a team size of the 80 people locally, all locally here. And among them, it's not only sales. Even from the beginning, we have our lawyers, we have our finance, we have our operation, warehousing, logistic, uh, human resource. So all of them are contributing to the project and uh, um, to to help the company to expand also, obviously. Um, that will make things much easier because, you know, all the local team, they really understand the culture. They understand the labor laws. They understand uh, what's required. That makes things much more efficient and uh, that could mitigate a lot of risk also because, you know, you go to any of the new country to invest a huge amount of the money. You definitely don't want, you know, um, build things up and then two years later you say, oh, I forgot this or, or oh, I, I step into a trap or whatever. So Stephen, if I, if I hear you correctly uh, in ex- explaining the complications involved outside of the simple, uh, the relatively simplistic uh, nature of a module manufacturing facility compared with the overarching upstream uh, development, there does seem to be a phase two with something beyond a module manufacturing plant in play for Trina here in the U.S.? For sure. Yeah, it will be phase two, probably phase three, and uh, this is just the beginning. <laughs> just the beginning. Well, more to come. We'll be uh, waiting with bated breath to hear more. I'm certain that you all uh, will not, uh, as as you will, you will not announce until things are fully baked, as uh, has been the tradition for Trina. Um, and for that, I'm grateful. Let's end on a little bit more of the sort of the overarching uh, perspective from a company that has been for more than a decade really entrenched here in North America with a large staff, uh, a local sort of culturally aware uh, team that is looking at how to serve the industry, as you pointed out, for longer than just the couple of years that we might get benefits from the current uh, the current government. Outside of the plant itself and the module technology, is there anything in particular that you all are looking at sort of overarching ESG criteria that your clients care about around shipping and things like that? Oh yeah, everything. You know, um, generally speaking, like I said, you know, it's not a one factories that we're trying to do. We are trying to make the factory greener. Uh, we're building some of the small solar projects right beside. We're building the solar, uh, you know, parking lot shade, um, you know, to make sure that we don't, we're doing the renewable industry, right? You know, we don't just generate the green products, but also we use the green energy to produce the, you know, green product. 
also. And uh, uh, another good example would be the logistic. You know, uh, you know, we are gradually adapting to the EV trucking. Uh, you know, mm. to make sure. I think by twenty twenty six or twenty seven, we're going to adapt to one hundred percent of the EV for all trainers trucking, and to make sure that uh, we don't emit while we're shipping the green stuff. Right. You know. So wow. so a lot of things. A uh, little piece here, a little piece there. Uh, we're going to do our best part, you know, to make sure those things will be plugged in and uh, we are doing a good business, uh, uh, you know, for the environment, for the U.S., but not only the manufacturing capacities. Fantastic, Stephen. I mean, it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting to hear the commitment to a community here in the United States, more than a thousand domestic jobs, uh, and even looking further afield to things like fully electrified transportation fleets. Clearly, Trina continues to lead in um, in action, not just in word. Stephen, I know that you have a lot on your plate. I just want to say thank you on behalf of the Suncast community for taking time to help us understand the complexities and uh, you know what we all have to to think about when trying to understand the announcements of what is coming to the market in terms of who's manufacturing what locally and the reality of deployment. I think, uh, you know, Trina is one of those examples of really putting their money where their mouth is. And I look forward to seeing four and a half gigawatts and, and more of Trina's products being manufactured right here on Texas soil. It's my pleasure. Like I said, it's only the beginning. So we're going to keep on doing that. There you have it, Solar Warriors. Thanks again to Stephen, Sue, and the Trina team here in the United States for bringing manufacturing to the United States. Of course, they're not the only ones, but I'm grateful that as an alumni, Trina is finally committing to bringing their solar modules and manufacturing expertise and capabilities as the leading importer of solar panels to the United States and as a Chinese uh, headquartered manufacturing company to our nearshoring and re-domestication of this industry as it were uh, Stephen has truly been a pioneer in this business uh, the in fact first episode in a month of 2024 will be a much longer episode with Stephen where we dig in to his entire background how he helped launch uh, Trina into the international module manufacturing behemoth that it is now. Uh, and I welcome your questions. What else did we not uncover here that is important to understand? Hopefully you learned a lot more about what to look for and how complex it is to set up manufacturing here uh, on U.S. soil. I'm proud of all the companies that have made a commitment to bolster our United States solar industry. We still don't have enough coming here domestically to cover the massive expansion and demand that we need in order to meet our climate goals and our renewable energy targets. So I'd like to hear from you. Shoot me a message over on LinkedIn. Please connect with me there. It's easy to find those connections right in the description of the podcast player that you are listening on. Or if you're watching on YouTube, thank you as well. Please click that like button and let the world know that Suncast Media is giving you value. Leave us a comment down below 
and let us know what else you'd like to see us cover. What questions would you have asked? If you'd like to click down to some of the other resources I mentioned from UFLPA to the CFAS committee regulations, I've linked all of them over at mysuncast.com. Click on the episode notes tab. Of course, that's also where you'll find more than 650 episodes in our back catalog of leaders just like Stephen on the front lines of the clean energy transition. Hey, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter. So you will not only be notified once the next episode of Suncast is live, but you'll hear from me from time to time about all the places that we're visiting and the exciting and interesting trends that we are following as I am interfacing with the leaders in the industry like Stephen each and every week. And of course, last but not least, every Thursday we have an exciting deep dive with an industry executive. We call them executive profiles. I hope you'll join us again on Thursday. Till then, remember you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.